to Between the Bytes, weekly discussions on IT, the latest cybersecurity news, and leadership and management advice. My name is Gary Arnold. And I'm Derek Parkinson. And I'm James Fair. Welcome. We've got our usual crew back this week to talk about, of course, the usual subjects. We have a little bit of a special subject and topic that we're talking about today. There was a fairly recent report that came out. It's an annual report put together by Verizon, which to me is a little surprising. And maybe we could talk a little bit about why it's them. But they put together the Verizon Data Breach Report. It is sort of a leading report on the status and the latest cyber breaches and cyber trends. A lot of interesting information, uh, a lot of interesting visuals to accompany that information. And we wanted to go into it a little bit today and talk about what's the latest trends, you know, what have they seen in the past year? So let's start and maybe let's start, James, can you give us just a little bit of a primer Why is Verizon the one putting this together? Why not some cyber company? And where did this get started? Where does it come from? They've been doing this a long time, like since like 2008, I think is when they started doing this. And it used to be the go-to, I mean, still is a very go-to, you know, resource for everybody. Verizon, you know, they were a big internet provider. They were the largest cell phone provider and cell phones and cell phone methods, mobile methods were a big attack vector. It may still be. I don't keep much up on the phone side of things, but it was a big part of everything we did. People would steal long distance and look over your shoulder and steal your long distance calling numbers and and these kind of things. So it was a big deal. And that's how they got started. And I think they just kind of kept going with it. And now here we are, what, some 13, 14 years later. And now it's much more about cybersecurity in general and how they're doing it, what we're seeing, trends and patterns, those kind of things. It's a really cool report, actually, if you're into that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Available for free as well. And I think we can drop a link in the podcast description, of course. But let's maybe dive in. James, what is kind of a high level? And we can maybe go section by section here on what they've break down. But what are some of the high level takeaways from this report? I think the first one is the method, what they're stealing, right? So we're seeing, they're seeing rather, credentials as our first and foremost largest percentage of breaches, we'll call it, which isn't surprising. All right, everyone's after your credentials. If I can get your login and password, then I can get into your things. Next highest is phishing, which isn't surprising, somewhere around 17%. Exploiting vulnerability is below that. And then botnets actually are still on the picture, although they're pretty small. And those are the top four that I saw as far as breaches go. Ransomware continued. That was a big thing. I saw they were talking about a 13% rise, which was bigger than the last five years combined as far as an increase goes. So ransomware is, you know, big spike in ransomware. No one's surprised by that. We're also seeing that uh, one of the things I saw in their reports was how supply chain incidents can lead to wider ranging consequences that, that may not have been expecting, right? We're seeing if I can interrupt your supply chain, then I can interrupt a lot more things that way. Real quick, James, just want to pause on that point. Elaborate a little more for us on the supply chain aspect, because that that really is, and we've mentioned it here on the podcast before, the caution you need to take in engaging with certain vendors and partners, their security kind of becomes your security. Yeah, that was a big part of what I saw throughout here was that security breaches came from partner organizations, not necessarily like by a vendor, but the weaknesses that showed up in the vendor then became your problem because they came that way. You know, we talked about in a previous podcast how a supply chain for Toyota was able to create a problem for Toyota. And this is the same kind of thing. We're seeing a lot where your vendors, you know, who you partner with is a big deal. So we need to start checking the security of the people that we work with and how much access we're giving them and what kind of access and auditing that, that kind of a thing. 
It's going to continue to be a theme, no doubt, and is relevant for every business and organization out there. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of you know, requests from cyber insurance companies to look at Executech in particular and any other vendor that companies may deal with to make sure that their security is also up to speed, shall we say. So were there any surprises for you, Gary? Did you see anything in there that caught your attention? Another interesting one that's you know going through the pages here I thought was interesting and, and wanted to call your attention and get your feedback on is error, which they're calling here misconfiguration yeah. of cloud storage was responsible for 14% of breaches, which, wow. I mean, we know that human error at the end of the day is like the number one cause behind all of this. Human error is sort of the baseline foundation for problems. But misconfiguration, that's thats not even like an oversight or I got tricked. That was just, I didn't set it up right. Right. <laughs> Tell us more about that and maybe what some ways some businesses can think about <laughs> avoiding that particular problem. Well, I think part of this is due to the fact that much of this technology is new. Right. We're still kind of on the forefront of Azure and AWS and these kind of things. And the interfaces are changing and the people trained on this, you know, it hasn't been around for 20 years. So there's not two decades of experience from people that are working on these things. So any system that gets more and more complex then becomes harder and harder to make sure you've got all your bases covered. And if you've ever played in Azure or set up a server in Azure, it is not simple and easy in a few clicks. There are no wizards to walk you through the process or, you know, nothing to say, lock me down now. So it's a long, complex process. It's a a lot of moving pieces. And I'm not terribly surprised we're seeing a lot of this. Inexperienced people or newly trained, I got my certificates. I'm going to go work on a server now. Um, Working on, you know, someone's cloud storage, as you mentioned. And it doesn't take a whole lot of overlooking oversight before you can miss some things. And unfortunately, the hackers out there, they're not going to miss. They're out there scanning. I can't remember where I was, but I attended something. Oh, it was a one of our vendors put on a, a road show here. And they said they spun up a server in Azure. And in 37 seconds, they were already seeing attacks on it. They, they set up a server on purpose. So they could go after it. They left it open, you know, vulnerable on purpose. so They could do some tests on it. But within 37 seconds, it was already being hit by folks outside wow. of themselves. So, yeah, anything you put on the Internet is subject to... <laughs> Almost immediate abuse, it sounds like. So getting these things set up, getting them set up correctly and safely and securely and making sure you've you know, crossed all your T's, dotted all your I's in that long, complex process is of particular importance since the entire world can reach those things. Yeah, and I guess just emphasizing the fact that this is somebody's, many organizations, full-time job. Their full-time job that they have made for themselves is to try and hack you, to try and breach you, to try and steal your data. And on top of that, they're using bots that don't sleep. They're using machines that don't need a break over the holidays to try and execute on these hacks, on these attacks. So you got to be wary. You got to stay, stay on top of your game. And that's, again, the reason why we're here is to talk about it. And I should have just looked a little further. The actual stat around that human element factor, they say, is 82% of breaches involved the human element again not surprising per se but but still eye-opening yeah that's why we're here we we want to emphasize education awareness and training for individuals and for organizations around these highly relevant issues well one of the things that caught my attention was you mentioned and it's no surprise that the human element continues to be a factor not it not just in errors of configuration but credential harvesting You know, that was, it was a big thing that they said many times that the dominant trend is 
human element. Unfortunately, that's what drive the breaches, uh, stolen credentials, phishing, errors. That's a big part of what this is. So we really need to have systems in place that check everyone's work because we're all human. We can make mistakes. I've seen some of the best technicians in the world make mistakes when I you know, went over and did a quality assurance test. So we need ways to audit ourselves, our systems. We really should, I mean, in some places, try to breach these systems ourselves, right? Play that, the red team scenario where I try to hack myself to see what shows up. Companies should be paying, and we see this you know, more and more. I think right now, Facebook will get, pay you 500 bucks if you could show them a vulnerability. So that's important, right? Get to put it out there because there are a lot of people who do want to do good and are still technically and cyber trained and can assist with this stuff for sure. We don't need to go piece by piece, but the report does break down by industry the frequency patterns, top threats of each of a variety of industries. Some of them are more hit than others, but my big takeaway is that there is no industry that is an exception to the rule of you will be targeted for an attack in some way. However, some industries that maybe we should call out that the frequency of incidents or frequency of attacks was significantly higher compared to others. Education services is one. Financial and insurance, which that one should be no surprise. Information, I think might be the number one there. Yeah. Just glancing at the numbers. Manufacturing, a lot of incidents. And the report doesn't show exactly why the higher number are there more, and maybe James, maybe there's, you can offer some insight on this. Are there a higher frequency of incidents in manufacturing because manufacturing isn't an industry that's up on their game or are they just targeted more because of, because of who they are? According to this report and, and my own beliefs, it's all financially motivated, right? These are, they're not mm-hmm. doing this for, it used to be the basement dweller living in his mom's basement was going out and hacking and doing it for fun and bragging rights, but that's a very, very small percentage these days. It's unfortunately, it's organized crime looking to make money. And so we mostly, that's why the financial markets, I'm sure they're going after, they're going after where the money is. I think manufacturing education is exactly what you said. These folks do not spend a great deal of time and effort or do or cannot, or, you know, don't have the money to do so to create the security necessary to keep themselves protected. In the past, historically, they weren't really big targets, but now everyone's a target. That's no longer applicable. And unfortunately, as you said, every industry is being hit. So those industries, I think we're seeing higher numbers because they aren't prepared to deal with it, frankly. And that kind of brings us down to the end part of the report. One of the last pages here, I I found almost surprising how kind of blunt they were. And I think this is a really important point to drive home to our listeners was the very small business category that they have a dedicated page to. And they they categorize this as businesses with fewer than 10 employees, which, yeah, is, is very small. And if these type of businesses can be a target, everyone can be a target. There's a common misconception that we've tried to correct on the podcast multiple times is that I'm too small to be a target. It's frankly just not true. And as we've said before, it's a matter of when, not if, you will be a target for an attack. And their data here shows that very small businesses are also under attack. And the number one for them is is through ransomware. What's your observation or your commentary on that, James? A lot of this is automated. I'm not going to go out and bother you who is who. I'm just going to go and scan the, you know, like, like you said, there's bots or the company that spun up the server and 37 seconds later they were getting hit. Clearly, they weren't worried about what industry they were in. They were just looking for something to spun up new and then going after it. So... 
that means anybody spinning up anything or anybody on the internet is subject to attack. I think I've mentioned before, I had the unpleasant job of digging through a ransomware company and whatever organizations, the stuff that they'd stolen and they were selling online. I had to look through there to see if, if you know, one of the company's data was in there. And it was every industry. It was small schools. It was a gas station. It was a hospital. There were no, there was nothing held back, right? Any kind of honor among thieves is, seems to be out the window. It's whatever I can get money from, I'm going to exploit. Because it's organized crime. It's not necessarily individuals who may have a conscious. It's a criminal organization who does not. Yeah, something I was watching a while ago, I think it was a few years ago, with a cybercrime specialist from the FBI. And he was talking about the individual, but I think the thought behind it rain holds true when it comes to organizations as well. He was talking about security theater in the sense that little things like you signing the receipts of your credit card that does not in any way, shape, or form keep your credit card information safe or secure or help prevent against if somebody gets your credit card number. There's not an organization anywhere that compares signatures to know if it's you or not. That's that's not quite how that works, not on the day-to-day transactions. So the best way to think about it is if you take all of the credit card and debit card and numbers out there and you put them in a big ocean, your Everyday criminals are just fishing. And when they grab one, they grab one. That is how it works. So the reason not everybody has experienced having their credit card number stolen yet is they just haven't had the luck of the draw yet. So there really isn't anything personal to it. Now, there is actually in some cases, and on this report, it does talk, especially with larger organizations, that is where you will get people who will commit these things out of certain ideals or basically what they were alluding to was revenge. But when it comes to the medium all the way down to the very small businesses, it's just luck of the draw. There's nothing personal behind it. It's just your number came up, basically. So it is something that everybody needs to take seriously. And unfortunately, the small businesses are the ones that typically can't recover from a major attack. They go under. Yeah, especially if someone's selling your data, right? That's that's one thing I saw a lot mentioned in here was that it's not just about ransomware anymore. And unfortunately, we experienced this as well out there in the, in the real world is that not just in a report, but that it's all about now harvesting data and then threatening to sell it online. I think I mentioned this before. The University of Utah got hit with ransomware and they openly acknowledged that they paid. And when asked when they paid, because they did everything right, they had backups and everything else, but it was student data and they didn't dare let it get out. So they paid in hopes that the attackers would not release that information. Mm -hmm. I think one thing we can also emphasize, though, is that even if you are a very small business, a medium business, frankly, business of any size, there are affordable tools that can help mitigate these attacks. There is no, as we've emphasized before, there is no silver bullet. There is no magic potion for stopping all cyber attacks. Cybersecurity, as we've said, is built in layers. Some of the essential layers that you need as a very small business even are fairly accessible. We're talking about licenses to your basic antivirus and more advanced anti-ransomware software. These type of things can make a difference. They could really make or break it, frankly. There's a lot more to building a you know, robust cybersecurity plan and protection network for your business than just that. But don't think that it's this barrier to entry that, man, oh, I, I'm, I'll get to security once I'm bigger. I'll get to security once I break a million dollars in revenue or whatever it may be. You can start thinking about it now. It's approachable and it's affordable. Yeah. And, and there are fairly inexpensive things you can do to really move the needle a lot, like multi-factor authentication. You know, we've said it many times, 
But having even a text message is better than just login and password by itself. So please, please turn on multi-factor authentication. I still see businesses come to us needing cyber insurance or wanting to be compliant in some fashion. And they lack even some of these basic ones like multi-factor. It's no fun. It's an additional layer for your users, but it's a pretty small price to pay in terms of time in order to get a great big return in security. Yep. And train your staff. And then if you've already trained your staff, wait a month and then train them again and test them on it. A lot of this are almost, I'd say the vast majority, I think it was 86% boils down to human error. You have to train your staff. You have to refresh on that training, whether that is just walking through examples of what phishing emails look like, things to be aware of, or just helping instill some level of paranoia, healthy paranoia, as we call it, in your office when it comes to opening links, not being afraid to communicate or double check with whoever you think might be sending you this. If it doesn't seem right, reach out and say, hey, was this really from you? Nothing wrong with that. Make sure that you're communicating early well and even taking it as far as testing. Executech, we do it for ourselves and as well as our clients. We'll do phishing testing regularly because it is the best way to get an idea of who needs to learn and also gives our training department the chance to get a little creative and see how they can, what topics they can use to break as many people as they can in the office and get them to stop thinking for just a second and click on a link. And then it opens up a a door for more training. So train, train some more. That's a great point. Email in the report, something like 86% of delivery methods for malware, ransomware was over email, right? Interestingly, I saw that 17% were still Office Docs. I didn't think that was still a thing, but that's still going on. People are still delivering links inside of Office documents because you know we can scan inside of Office documents now. So now we put links in there. So you click on the link inside the Office doc that we can't track. So please be careful of those. And we talked about that. That was the Felina vulnerability that we talked about just a week or two ago. Yeah. Thank you all both for your commentary and summary as we, uh, I'm looking at the last page here that's sort of the best practices. We've we've kind of touched on them already. Again, just reemphasizing security awareness and skills training. That's one of the things recommended here in the Verizon report. James, talk us through a couple of these other, they call them the controls, best practices for preventing these attacks and threats. Would you mind highlighting some of them for us and, and for our, you know, our businesses out there? Yeah, Gary. So a couple of the ones highlighted here. One of the things I rarely see organizations use is what we call data protection. And that is classifying data into separate applicable buckets. So we have public information. We don't care if it gets out. We have private information where uh, as long as it's internal, we don't, it doesn't matter. And we have secure information like only HR should have access to it and things like that. So as you create your storage or your folder organization to put your data in, Keeping that classification in mind can really go a long ways toward making sure things are in the appropriate place and have the appropriate access. It's not commonly thought about in that term, but it needs to be, and we should all be doing this, frankly. Account management, that was, a, that was one they mentioned in here, right? So there's some basic ones. We can all do the, you know, turning on password rotation and minimum password length, but really turning on the limits to the number of password attempts. So I can't use a brute force password dictionary attack on your password if I'm only allowed to do it five times and the account gets locked. Things like that can be a really great way to do it. As Derek mentioned, security awareness and skills training, right? That's an obvious one. Password rotation is a good thing in theory, but again, that's still humans. We're still human trying to come up with variations of passwords. So 
typically you have your password and then when it says, you know, it's time to update your password, usually you're taking that same password and just rearranging the different components of that. It'd take a computer or a system like a brute force system about maybe 0.25 seconds to run just about every conceivable variation of that password. So it's really not hindering it that much. That's where passphrases come into play. That's where MFA comes into play is that actually slows things down. And like James said, the putting a restriction on the number of attempts that can be made. Let me speak to that just for a second, if I may. So that's actually changing. It used to be, let's turn on complexity, right? Three out of four, you know, punctuation, number, capital, small letters, password length. We had rotation. Then you have password history where you're, you're only, you, you have to use like the 10 unique passwords before it allow you to reuse one, for instance. So that's that trend is actually going away. We are now seeing a trend where complexity is no longer a thing because people can't remember J ampersand three, seven, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And moving to a passphrase, Derek, as you mentioned, let's go to the park on Friday. That's easy to remember. It's long. And we're also turning off password rotation for the for the reasons you mentioned. People will do patterns. I'll put a one at the end, then change it to a two, and change it to a three, et cetera. So we're we're getting rid of all that and we're realizing it's all about password length. I may have mentioned on a previous podcast, we had a white hat hacker come in and demonstrate to us. They spun up this gigantic 64 processor server in AWS and then did a brute force attack on a password. And in five characters, you just blinked and had the answer. At six, it took a few seconds. At seven, it took a few minutes. At eight, it was going to take a few hours. So really, it is all about password length these days, you guys. So make it easier to remember. Don't make them change it and uh, make it really long and that is a trend we are seeing. In fact, some of our FINRA, one of the SEC's governing body, is now allowing companies to, to leverage that. So that's a trend we're going to see more and more in the future, I hope. Get rid of some of these silly things that we used to do, like password rotations and complexity. Great insight. And uh, overall, I appreciate your guys' commentary and thoughts on this report. That's the Verizon Data Breach Report. Again, they've done this every year. I think it's great to cover it, great to reemphasize these statistics, these trends, and as always, the best practices to protect against them. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Thank you, James. And thank you, Derek. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Be safe out there, everyone. See ya. Bye, guys.